concerning my complaints. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Oh, Father, this chapter is given to us to teach us more about you to reveal who you are and how to live by faith when life is hard. Help us, oh God, to see you in the words that you have given us and use these words, oh God, to help us to trust you more. Do a work through your word, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. All right, chapter one began with a lament last night, with the prophet turning to God with his complaints. It began with confusion and frustration. Habakkuk had questions for God. How long, O Lord? Why, O God? Questioning the silence of God. The Lord answered Habakkuk in an unexpected way. 
promising to deal with the sin of his people through the invasion of a brutal military force, and also promising that Babylon, that military force, will ultimately be punished. There will be justice. Habakkuk, at the end of chapter 1, was left reeling after all of that, which led to his second lament that can be summed up with this question, isn't that unfair, O God? How can a holy, pure God use a wicked nation to judge your people? And the chapter ended with the prophet still confused with questions about God and his ways. Chapter 2 picks up right at that point with the prophet providing this visual aid to describe what he is doing after his second complaint. He describes himself like one positioned on a tower. In verse 1, he says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, what God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's as if he has gone to the highest point he can get to, a watchtower looking to the horizon, determined, waiting for a reply from the Almighty God expecting to hear from him and already anticipating he's going to have a follow-up response. It's as if he thinks there will need to be a rebuttal because what God says might not be a sufficient enough answer. I wonder if Habakkuk was playing out in his mind the what ifs. What if he says this, then I'll say this. Like we do all of us do when we're having that conversation in our head with someone else, that conversation that we end up having in real life with that person never happens exactly like we does in our heads. Am I right? Oh, and it will be like that also for Habakkuk. Habakkuk here reminds me of Job. After all the suffering that he had endured, when Job says this, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, where I might find God. That I might come even to his seat, I would lay my case before him. Job wanted to make his case before God, and he waited for God to answer. God did answer, but not the way that he expected. Remember how God answered Job, asking a series of questions, beginning with this. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Question after question for Job, revealing that there are millions of things that his finite mind could not even begin to understand, and millions of things that his frail body could not even begin to do. Revealing to Job who Job isn't and who God is. Teaching Job to entrust even the unanswered questions about that pain that entered his life to a sovereign wise, loving God. Job positioned himself with questions for God, and Habakkuk here positions himself as if on a tower. And just like with Job, the Lord's response, is, response isn't exactly what Habakkuk expected, nor does it directly answer his question. There is an answer, it's just not what he anticipated. Let's read verses 2 and 3. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. 
If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Before we move too quickly quickly to what God said to Habakkuk here, let's make sure we don't miss something. Look at the beginning of verse 2. And the Lord answered me. We see here the care and steadfast love of a God who hears the cries of his people. He hears our cries and he answers our prayer. Let that, sister, encourage your heart this morning. Let that truth stir in your heart a renewed desire to pray to the God who hears and to pray in a way expecting him to answer. I serve, as you all know, at an international church in Abu Dhabi. It's a city right on the Persian Gulf next to Saudi Arabia. At church, there are over 80 different nationalities represented and so many church backgrounds. I have been challenged and encouraged by the way my brothers and sisters from different cultural contexts and from very different church backgrounds pray. It has pushed me in ways. It has made me uncomfortable at times, and it has changed the way I pray. I, especially when it comes to praying specific, expectant prayers to the God who hears. So let me encourage you from what we see here in Habakkuk to pray specific, expectant prayers. Let's be women who stand on that tower in our own prayers and as we come alongside one another to pray for one another. And let's also hold those desires that we have connected to those prayers, what we want God to do, to hold those desires in our hearts in such a way that leaves room for God to answer in an unexpected way. It gets tricky in our hearts, though, doesn't it? When we're dealing with our desires and our expectations on God to move in a particular way, to do a particular thing. There's a difference between praying an expectant prayer to a sovereign, loving God who hears our cries, holding our desires open-handed before the Lord, trusting in his wisdom and care for us versus white-knuckling it around those desires so that those desires turn into demands and what we think we need. And when God doesn't come through, when we want him to, how we want him to, what happens in our hearts? We begin to question God's faithfulness. We begin to doubt his goodness and his love. So consider your own heart, the desires of your heart. Are they held with an open hand before the Lord, are they he- or are they held with a closed fist? Let's pray expectant prayers open-handed before the Lord, trusting that he knows every desire that we have, and he will answer our prayers, just not always the way we may expect him to. All right, back to the text. What was God's answer to the prophet? He begins with a couple instructions or a few instructions. He's telling them to do a few things before he gets to his response. The first is in verse 2. Write the vision. He tells the prophet to write down this message he has for the people on tablets. Reminds me of Moses and the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? It has that feel to it, which means this message is important. God also says to make it plain. 
so that a messenger, a herald, can run with it. It needs to be clear for the people to see and to hear. The next instruction is in verse 3, wait for it. Wait for the fulfillment of the vision. With that command from the Lord is a call to Habakkuk to enter what the Puritans referred to as the school of waiting. And let's just admit one thing about waiting. No one likes to wait. Think about when you walk up to the checkout counters at the supermarket with your trolley full, eyeing each line, the amount of items in each trolley, the efficiency of the cashiers, and you feel at that moment like this is the most critical decision you will face today. Which line is the slowest? You make the calculations quickly in your head. It's got to be quick because someone might get in the line you want. And then you make your move. And then inevitably, you realize once again that you have stepped into the slowest line ever. We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait for the small things in life, and we find it, it extremely hard when we enter long seasons of waiting for the significant things in life. But the Christian life, sisters, is a life of waiting. Remember, Habakkuk is living with the reality of all the injustice that is going on in Judah, and God's word for Habakkuk is to wait for what he will do. God is faithful. His timing, perfect. But his timing so often doesn't seem to line up with what we want and when we want it. So let's ask another question here of the text. What promise has God given to Habakkuk to cling to, to hold on to while he waits? Look back at verse 3. The vision awaits its appointed time. The time is already set. When what God promises will take place, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. It's true. It will surely come, and it won't delay. From Habakkuk's perspective, it will seem like it is slow in coming. But from God's perspective, it isn't slow at all. God's will is unfolding in his perfect timing. This is a promise to Habakkuk from a sovereign God. What happens is not going to be random, and it's not going to be slow in coming. It's already in the diary. Peace, sisters. Peace is found in trusting the promises of a sovereign God. The question underlying this promise from God to Habakkuk is this, will you trust me while you wait? And it is the same question for us. Will you trust me while you wait? Will you trust what I have promised? We often think that we will find rest or peace for our overly busy minds and our anxious hearts if we just understand all that's happening step by step. If God could just let us in on the details, or better yet, if he would just put me in control of the details. But peace doesn't come in understanding and controlling everything which is impossible to do. Rather, it comes in trusting the one who is in absolute control of the history that is unfolding around us and who is in absolute control of our story. Do you long for a deeper peace and rest for the busyness of your mind and the anxiety in your heart? It comes 
as we put our faith and trust day by day in the promises of a sovereign God. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. So the Lord has taken Habakkuk into this school of waiting. And it's in this, this school where the Lord teaches him and where he teaches all of his children that waiting well involves trusting in what God says and not what we see. Let's go back to this vision. What is this vision? This vision is a promise. It's actually a twofold promise, and the rest of the chapter is a description of what God promises to do. This vision, this promise is this, judgment and salvation. Judgment and salvation. Continuing on in verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We've come here in chapter 2, verse 4, to the theme of this book of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by his faith. We find this theme, it's literally at the center of the book. And what do you notice about in verse 4? It's something we're told to look for when we're studying a portion of scripture, when we're observing a passage. There is this contrast. The Lord describes two kinds of people, the one who is not upright and the righteous. The one who is not upright is described as puffed up, as swollen with pride. Those who trust in themselves rather than trusting in God, not believing they need the God of Israel. In this immediate context, this describes the Babylonian invaders. What the Lord describes in this vision is the judgment that is coming for the puffed up Babylonians. And the rest of chapter 2 is a description of the judgment that is coming. In contrast, the righteous shall live by his faith. This is a message to the righteous remnant of Israel. And it is hopeful, but it is also a hard message. They will be saved, but they will be saved through what is about to happen. They will not be taken out of it, which means suffering is coming. We were praying recently in our staff meeting for our Indian brothers and sisters in, who are suffering persecution in northern India. It is hard in northern India right now. We prayed for a principal of a school who was beaten and taken into custody for allowing a Christian church to meet in his school building. Injustice remains. The powerful oppress the weak. Wars rage on, abuse and exploitation continues. How will followers of Jesus get through this? By trusting what God is teaching us here in Habakkuk. That a divine timeline is also set now by a just God that involves both judgment and salvation. This promise of judgment in the time of Habakkuk unfolds now through the rest of this chapter in verses 6 through 20 in these five woes in what is called a taunt song. The Lord gets specific with what will happen in these five woes. And it's not just one woe, it is five, which points to how certain and complete this judgment will be. 
So let's look at this promise of judgment first, and then we're going to come back to verse 4 to end this session with the main theme, the main point of this book, the righteous shall live by his faith. But first, the promise of judgment. And I want to answer one question here. What are two certainties of this coming judgment? What are two certainties? The first certainty is this. The proud Babylonians will reap what they sow. The tables will turn. This is a promise for Habakkuk and for all who endure injustice. Because the question that comes with the pain of injustice is, will those who seem to get away with such horrible things ever be punished? God's promise here, the clock is ticking. They will reap what they sow. Where do we see this within these five woes? Let's look at verse 5. At the end of verse 5, it says this, He, Babylon, gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And then verse 6 begins the taunt song that will be sung by the, those oppressed by this brutal nation. The case here is laid out in these taunts for why Babylon deserves punishment. So let's read verses 6 through 8. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, against Babylon, with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges or with loans? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. This first woe says that Babylon has taken what isn't his own and he will be plundered by those he's taken advantage of. They will reap what they sow. And then look at verse 15, jumping to the fourth woe. Verse 15 says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself. And show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. All the shame experienced by the victims of the violence and injustice that Babylon is known for. God says the tables will be turned. Shame will come upon you. The violence you did will overwhelm you. This is a promise for the righteous remnant to cling to. God will judge Babylon and all those like Babylon who victimize others, who steal, who abuse and exploit all for their own selfish gain. Justice is delayed, but it will come. Babylon will reap what they sow. And all those puffed up like Babylon who oppose God and his word will reap what they sow. That's the first certainty. The second certainty is in this judgment is that God reigns and rules over it all. Verse 14, in the middle of these words, in this verse, we see hope. There is a day coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Every nation that rises will ultimately fall. 
there is only one kingdom that will last, only one king who will receive all the glory, and the knowledge of his glory will fill every centimeter of the earth like the water covering the sea. The day is coming when there will be no more injustice. And while we wait, God still reigns and rules over it all. Where I live in the UAE, there is no question who rules that country. I live right along a motorway, and my off-ramp, my exit that I take every day, has this massive billboard of the sheikh, of the ruler. His face is on buildings and billboards everywhere. There is no question in my mind who rules and reigns in that country. And what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk here in the midst of the judgment is, that is coming is that there is no question who rules and reigns over it all. And there's another verse that points to this certainty of God's reign and rule. And it comes at the end of chapter 2. The final woe is to idolaters, which really sums up Babylon. Those who put their trust and hope in anything else but the living God. Verse 19 Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. What the idol makers have put their trust in has no power, no breath at all. How foolish it is to trust in something as powerless as that. In contrast to the lifeless idol, the living God is in his holy temple where he rules and reigns over all as an all-powerful holy God. And what is the only response of everyone on this earth to that reality? Verse 20, silence. Every knee will bow before our holy God who reigns and rules over it all. The judgment is certain. Babylon will reap what it sows because God reigns and rules over it all. So now let's circle back to verse 4. The promise for the righteous remnant is that they will live. The righteous shall live by his face, by his faith, by looking away from themselves and putting their trust in God. This word faith here in verse 4 can also mean faithfulness, an abiding, enduring trust, an ongoing, humble dependence. Those who trust him will be saved through this judgment that is coming. They're not saved by what they do, but by whom they place their trust in. And sisters, let me just stop there to say, you are not saved by what you do. You are saved by whom you place your trust in. Some of you, some of us, try so hard to make ourselves live and do things in this life to make us acceptable before a holy God. That's impossible. He is a God of grace. We are not accepted by what we do. We put our faith and trust in him. He is our righteousness. He is our hope. He is a God of grace. Are you striving 
so hard trying to do, trying to be before God, and you feel like you're not measuring up. Maybe you look out and you're comparing yourselves to other sisters at church. Our God is a God of grace. He has arms open wide. We are not but saved by what we do, but by whom we place our trust in. So there are two kinds of people in Habakkuk's day and two kinds of people throughout history. Those who are puffed up and self-reliant, who reject God, who worship the creation rather than the creator, and those who put their faith and trust in Christ, looking away from themselves to the only one who can rescue them from the coming judgment. And Habakkuk did not see what we have been able to see on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Habakkuk lived about 600 years before Christ came. On this side of the cross, we see so much more. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we read the righteous live by his faith, there are deeper riches to be found as we understand this verse, verse through the lens of the New Testament. Verse 4 is actually mentioned three times in the New Testament, in Romans, in Galatians, and in Hebrews. We're going to look briefly at two of these. The first is Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. In Romans 1, 17, the Apostle Paul writes, For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is writing here about the gospel, the good news. What Paul is saying here is that you can do nothing to earn God's acceptance or forgiveness. This righteousness is God's gift of Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness to cover our sins. And from beginning to end, it's by faith in Christ alone. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are clothed in Christ's righteousness. All our sin, past, present, and future, is put on Christ, and his righteousness is put on us. Whether you've been a follower of Christ for five months or for 50 years, this should flood your heart with hope. This is like no other man-made religion that is all about just trying to balance the scales in your favor by what you do so that you will be accepted by whomever you worship. What good news this is for us and what good news we have to share in a world that feels so out of control. Are you sharing this good news? Are you speaking these words of hope to those held captive by their sins? Let's remember, sisters, we deserve the judgment of a just God that we see in the chapters of Habakkuk. The hope that shines from Habakkuk and all of the Bible is that the righteous live by faith, by beholding, believing, trusting, and treasuring all that God promises in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Unbelievable, isn't that? Amazing. And another 
word for those of you who've maybe doubted your salvation, who have this nagging question in the back of your mind, am I really saved? It is by faith when we first believe, and it is by faith until we take our last breath. My encouragement to you, if that is you, is to run to Jesus and continue to run to Jesus. Consider the truths of the gospel again and again and again. Continue a life of repentance, of confessing your sins, and believe that the fountain of God's forgiveness will never dry up. And then follow Christ in obedience to his word, not to earn his acceptance, but because there is nothing better in this world than to place our trust and hope in Jesus. We never graduate from needing to hear and hold on to the gospel. Now let's go from Romans 1.17 to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 38. Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews quotes Habakkuk within a context that is different than Romans. So the question I'm asking of Hebrews 10 is, what can we learn about living by faith from Hebrews 10? Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 38. The author of Hebrews is writing here to those who have endured suffering because of their faith in Jesus. In verse 34, he writes of how they had joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. And when that happened, when some of the things that they cherished on this earth were taken from them, they felt this joy because they believed that Jesus really was better than the things that they valued. And what the author writes here that we're about to read is at a later time, reminding them of what they went through and how at that time they had fixed their eyes on a better and an abiding possession, how their gaze was fixed on heaven. And he goes on to say this to them in verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author of Hebrews is saying to these weary Christians, don't lose heart. And then he pulls in truth from Habakkuk. From this moment in the history of God's people, it's like he's pointing to a scene in a movie when it seems like darkness would prevail, like evil will win, when things seemed utterly hopeless. He's pointing them there to that moment to encourage their weary hearts. In verse 36, here is encouragement. For yet a little while the coming one will come and not delay. Remember in Habakkuk, it was the vision that God promised Habakkuk would come and not delay. Judgment will come. The righteous will live. But here the author of Hebrews is pointing forward to the time when Jesus will return. He will not delay, even though it seems slow in coming. Our Heavenly Father is saying through the author of Hebrews, to them and to us, 
I know what it is going to seem like to you. I know you will grow weary. I know doubts will come, but don't give up. Look up and wait. What I have promised will happen. Sisters, when you feel weary, remember the promise. Even though it seems slow, when things are so hard, wait for him. Our king, our savior, our hope is coming. It is not always going to be this way. And don't we need to hear that when life is hard? It is not always going to be this way. When relationships are broken, when the job is lost, when the loneliness seems unending, when it feels so hard to share the gospel at all, when you're trying desperately to keep things together in your marriage, when you give in again and again to that same persistent sin, when motherhood is exhausting, when depression descends, when anxiety overwhelms, it's not always going to be this way. Praise God. It is not always going to be this way. The author of Hebrews points to this moment in the history of the Old Testament to encourage their hearts. God fulfilled his promise then. Babylon fell to the Persians within 100 years after it rose to power. Other Babylons have come and gone. He kept his promise then, and he will keep his promise now. What we learn from the way Hebrews 10 uses Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is that the life of faith is a life of endurance. Living by faith is an abiding, enduring trust, a continued dependence on God, believing that he will accomplish all that he promises in Christ. We are saved by faith and we walk now by faith, not by sight. There is a day coming and we will walk by sight, but we're not there yet. And now we cling to the specific promises of God and his word. And one of those promises, one of those massive, life-changing, hope-giving promises is that Jesus is coming back. This verse in Hebrews is right before Hebrews 11, if you're familiar with that chapter, the hall of faith. After quoting Habakkuk, the author of Hebrews turns their gaze to those who have gone before them, those who lived by faith, those who looked to the reward and by faith endured. Living by faith when life is hard involves a forward-looking endurance. We get so consumed, don't we, by what's happening in our lives right here and right now. But the author of Hebrews is telling us to look up, climb up on that watchtower to see above your circumstances and to look out to the horizon. Judgment is coming and the righteous will live by faith. Where do we look while we wait? We look to the one who endured perfectly to the end. Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our hope is in the one 
who endured to the end to bring us to God. Some of you here, I imagine, are feeling weary. You've reached the spot in your heart where you've said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I am just so tired. This fight of faith, the sin that clings so closely, tired of the brokenness in this world. Listen to God's word for you. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. Look up from your circumstances in faith to see that God has promised so much for you in Christ. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I know that we just have a taste of that joy now, but there is a day coming when we will know and when we will feel that fullness, when the promise that God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes actually happens. God himself, sisters, will wipe every tear from our eyes. And at that time, there will be no more death, no more mourning, crying. There will be no more pain. That day is coming. And it will not delay. But for now, we are living in this already not yet of the life of faith. We're waiting, and waiting is hard. But sisters, he's coming. Which means that when life is difficult, when sin continues to cling at your feet, at my feet, while we run this race of faith, when there is so much brokenness in this world that weighs so heavy on our hearts, we need to remember it is not always going to be this way. We will receive, you will receive what is promised. So now we place our trust in God. We place our trust in what God says and not what we see. And we wait. We wait for the coming of our King. We wait for the day when God himself will wipe every tear away. The righteous shall live by his faith. Let me pray for us. Thank you, O Father, for the hope we see here, that it is not always going to be this way, that there is a day coming, O oh God, which I can't even imagine, that you will wipe our tears, that you love us that much to come that close and wipe the tears from our eyes. And there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Oh, God, you know that it is hard for us to wait. You know, God, all, everything that every sister in this room is going through. And we thank you, oh, God, that we can trust that you will do exactly what you have promised. All because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, we put our faith 
and trust and hope in you because we have been clothed in Christ's righteousness and we can say, God, the righteous will live by faith. Help us, O oh God, to trust you. Help us, O oh Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, it is now time for some table group discussions. We want to have time to talk with one another, pray with one another. The questions are on the screen. Wherever you want to go in your discussion, if you want to share something that just stuck out to you, share that. If you want to share something that struck you that you want to take with you, share that. I've got a couple questions on the screen. If you want to go there, if that's helpful for you, just wherever that discussion goes, take some time to prayer. We're going to have, if I describe this correctly, a soft ending to it where if you're done, you can get, am I right? Am I tracking? Awesome. Um, where you, if you don't need to wait for someone to come up and say we're dismissed. You can get up and get some refreshments. So if you're, and if, they're, if you're still at your table praying and others are rustling around, stay in prayer. Don't feel the need to get up. There's a soft ending to that. Anything else I'm missing? We're back at 20 past. All right.